Euraxa Smart Talks for Talents, your personal guide to research careers, innovation, and entrepreneurship. Hi, I'm Daria, a senior expert of the Euraxa's National Contact Point in Latvia. And I'm Jovan, a teaching and research assistant from Serbia, and you're listening to Euraxa Smart Talks for Talents. Euraxas is a unique pan-European initiative of the European Research Area, providing information and assistance services to researchers regardless of their career stage. Backed by European Commission in 43 European countries, it supports research mobility and career development while enhancing scientific collaboration between Europe and the world. The title of today's episode is Tips and Perspectives on the Gender Gap in Academia. This is the first part of a two-part episode. According to the Commission's communication, in 2021, IRA noted that women remain significantly underrepresented within Europe's research community, making up just 33.4% of researchers, 24% of professors and 26% of university leaders. However, Sheryl Sandberg, the chief operating officer of Facebook, said in the future there will be no female leaders, there will just be leaders. What is the current situation in the academic world? Let us start smart and explore this topic together. Our first guest is Ms. Oriana Bertucci, who is an active participant in the EuroAccess Hubs project. The project focuses on three semantic areas – talent management in academia, a research career outside academia, and scientific startup entrepreneurship. Oriana is involved in an activity that places a special focus on gender. Ms. Bertucci is also a research and development project manager at the University of Liège with 15 years of experience as a higher education professional. Oriana works on the University of Liège's strategic plan focusing on career and leadership development for researchers. She offers guidance to PhD candidates and postdoctoral fellows through workshop facilitation and training modules. She has experience in academic career development in Canada, the United States, and now Europe. Oriana, thank you very much for joining us. The Academia Hub in the Euraxis Hub's pilot focuses on talent management in academia, with a focus on gender. Why is it important for Euraxis to focus on the area of gender? Thank you for having me today. Well, you know, research tells us that while female enrollment in higher education has tripled or nearly tripled since 1995, there's still a huge gender gap when it comes to equal outcomes, uh, when it comes to leadership and academic positions, when it comes to pay, uh, research and publications. And so I think it's important for your access to focus on this area of gender while recognizing and understanding the local context in which we work. Uh, we need to be able to critically evaluate where we are in our institutions or in our communities. Uh, and then we need to see how we can develop and improve the working conditions for those that we are supporting, for those that are in our institutions. One of the benefits of your access and one of the reasons this hub is so important is that we really are aiming to benefit from the experiences and the expertise of different countries and different institutional practices. But when you're in your institution, when you're at the local level and you're on the ground, it can be really hard to know where to start and it can be hard to start from nothing. So having these resources to all in one place benefiting from the experts, the initiatives that exist at the European level and across Europe, assures the support that is needed at the local level. 
And so I think we need to address these attitudes, address these questions, uh, and we need to find a way to better support those in our communities at the local level and benefit from the, the European level and the access to the resources. As uh, far as I know and understand, uh, you do a lot of mentoring for young researchers in particular uh, in a local community at your university. Uh, have you or one of your female mentees felt gender bias in developing their careers? If the answer is yes, how was this handled? Yeah, well, like I said, using the example of a female researcher who's looking to apply for a, a large funding grant. Uh, the question always comes up if they've had children, how do I address this in my CV? Is this considered a gap? And so I think those are important questions that each female researcher needs to address individually uh, and then even collectively. So finding support among female researchers to ha- for those perhaps who have been successful in a funding call to say, here's how I addressed it. Each discipline, each field is a little bit different. And so learning and benefiting from the experience of others. I think the other thing that's important to consider in this is that each institution, each country, each community has a different local context. And so when we, when we talk about individuals who have experienced that bias, maybe it's being passed up for a promotion, uh, maybe it's being passed up for a conference, uh, maybe, you know, there's a variety of different scenarios that, that can exist. It's understanding, okay, what do we learn from that? Is that something inherent in the environment and in the culture that we're in? Or is that maybe, uh, is that just a one-off? Is it something that we can do something to change? Do we need to be more visible? Uh, often female researchers, uh, when we, I do a lot of coaching, so preparing them for for interviews or for uh, grant applications, and they will say, I don't always feel comfortable talking about myself. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to brag. Um, but sometimes it's actually very important to understand what our strengths are, to be able to talk about what we have accomplished and, and be able to, to create some visibility. I think often researchers are very good about uh, talking about and giving visibility to their research but not necessarily to the process that has allowed them to be a successful researcher. And so one of the things of my job is is to support these researchers and specifically female researchers in in these experiences, but also to connect them to other groups of women, of successful uh, researchers, because it's important that as a community, you feel supported, that you have people that you can go to, people who have had those experiences that you can learn from what has worked, what hasn't worked. Uh, and I think we, when we look forward, when we, we, we see successful institutions and successful communities, one of the strengths is that they have strong mentorship programs They have strong units of collaboration. They have a way for female researchers to to gather regularly, to have a a safe space where they can talk about the challenges that they have faced and they can rely on each other. We all are different. You know, some people are very shy or some people don't know how how to provide this information, but it is really useful to to share. Uh, And generally as a researcher, is to think about building your own identity and your own brand. 
So if there is a social media platform, for example, that you use, uh, perhaps in your field, it's Twitter, perhaps it's LinkedIn, you know, whatever, uh, ResearchGate, whatever it is in your discipline where there is a lot of discussion, a lot of visibility, I think it's very important to think about the brand, who you are and what you put out there. Uh, so not just about your research, but also about uh, the other aspects that interest you. So uh, maybe you are in uh, environmental law, but you have a passion for uh, urban gardening. And so while that might be a little bit related to the policies of environmental law, you can bring in your enthusiasm and your interest in urban gardening demonstrating that you are this well-rounded, holistic, interesting person. Um, and so I think that understanding who you are, being able to have a brand, being comfortable with that brand and sharing that uh, is, is an important quality in, in research in the short and in the long term. Please tell me, I'm very eager to know, actually, if the woman researcher comes to you and asks Uh, how should I put, uh, if I have children, if I've been raising many children or just one, or I'm planning actually uh, to have a child, what do you, uh, what is your tip for her to raise this question or just skip it uh, during the interview? Wait to see if it's a question. And so sometimes, you know, somebody will say, oh, I see a gap in your CV. How would, you know, what happened or what were you doing? And what I often like to encourage them to think about is that a lot of female researchers uh, continue to do research even while they're raising children. So they're never yes. really fully off. That's true. So, That's true. Right? And so it's important to highlight that, look, I'm multitasked. I still had publications while raising my children. So when you think about a promotion, you think about a female researcher to head up a large research unit, you know they can multitask you know there's still going to be an effective and accomplished researcher. And so I think it's really important for me to encourage them to see this as a positive and as a strength and not as a, a negative that, oh, I took time off, I took it away from my career. Because often, uh, while it can be a lot to balance, it also can add a lot to them personally, which in turn makes them more motivated in their research to do well. Yes, it is very important what you are telling, but you know, sometimes it's so hard to make them share this information. We all are different, you know, some people are very shy or some people don't know how, how to provide this information, but it is really useful to, to share. But maybe the reason that we're shy to share is because we have created a culture where that is not talked about. So in addition to your career development experience in Europe, you have extensive experience in both Canada and the US. What are the main differences in gender equality? And I think that's probably one of the biggest differences that I have seen. Uh, the way in which in academia there is a, a comfort level or an ease about talking about your, your family situation or what are the hiring practices in an institution. But I do think overall that there is an environment uh, in North America where 
the the conversation around gender equality when it comes to pay, when it comes to promotion, when it comes to hiring practices, you know, it's really the norm now to have disclaimers on job postings. And so I think that that culture of discussion and openness is much more prevalent and much more important. So overall, the situation is better there. I think there's also a difference between having a formal course. So I think, I mean, I, I know there are institutions that offer these as courses, courses for credit. But yes, this exactly. is also just an example of something that they would do as an extracurricular activity, right? So to be involved in a, a student organization, you participate in this training. And the young students do this on a voluntary basis to be involved. And so I think I'm sure that there are institutions in Europe that are doing this. I think my experience has just been it's not widespread. And if they're also offering these types of maybe volunteer or extracurricular trainings, it's later on in the university career. It's not as early. And so I think that For me, that's one of the big differences because having that conversation at 18 versus 28 or 38. Yeah, of course. When you different. are a person that already is shaped for this kind of information, you know. In conclusion, what message can you share with our listeners? Of course. So the first thing I would just say is speak up. Don't be afraid to speak up, to ask for the resources that you need, for the funding that you need. Uh, do not be afraid to, to share the good things that you have done, your successes and your accomplishments. Uh, as, a, as a community, we want to celebrate that and we want to recognize that. And too often, I think female researchers uh, do not advocate for themselves as not enough. Uh, the second thing is support other female researchers and support those in your community. If, if you have benefited uh, from a certain Uh, experience, perhaps you are in a, a position to make decisions, uh, to have an influence, support those who are coming after you, pay it forward. Even if that road was hard for you, it's so important that we continue to pave the way so that others can benefit after we are gone. And then finally, don't be afraid to, to ask for something. Uh, For example, if you're interested in a topic and you want to speak at a conference, uh, you want to be on a different committee uh, within your institution, maybe you want to participate in a, in a Euraxis Network podcast and you have an idea, <laughs> you know, speak up and share and say, I have some ideas I'd like to, I'd like to contribute. Those would be my three maybe tips or suggestions. Thank you, Oriana. That was really interesting and you gave us a lot to think about. Euraxa Smart Talks for Talents, your personal guide to research careers, innovation and entrepreneurship. Now that we have a general picture of what's happening in the field, let's take a closer look at an especially interesting talent. Giovanna De Bernardi is a talented researcher who chose to keep all options open. In parallel to obtaining a PhD in international private law within the context of a joint Italy-France university program, she studied for certification as a judge. 
Giovanna has taught civil law and contract law at the University of Niche Sophia Antipolis and is also the author and co-author of different French and Italian publications. In 2019, Giovanna was appointed as a civil judge and she is now working at the court of Termini Imerese Palermo. So, Giovanna, Mrs. Giovanna, or should we call you Your Honor? We are happy to have you with us today. Let's start from the very beginning. Why did you choose to study international law? Well, first of all, thanks to, to everyone for this opportunity to, to take part to, to your project. Uh, when I was a child, I had the opportunity to study in a French school. And the fact of studying in a French school helped me to grow up with a very, I can say, broad mind, which means that I had the opportunity to study with children that uh, came to all the other parts of the world, which uh, made me very interested in everything happen outside my, my town, outside my country. So that's why when I started the university and I decided to study law, I tried to specialize in everything which was international or European or uh, comparative to the Italian law and the Italian legal system. And while I was writing my thesis, that was just to finish the university, so I wasn't still a PhD student. I was just a normal university student. But right there, I realized that I really liked it. And this is why once I finished uh, the university, I, uh, I tried to attend a PhD because my career was, I finished my university, I started a PhD, and while I was writing my uh, PhD thesis, I prepared the exam to become a judge. So it was parallel. Why? It's not a very common situation, you know? No, it's not very common, but I decided to, to do everything at the same time because I told to myself that uh, during my PhD, That's true that on one side, of course, I had to work for my PhD because I had to, to do researches. Sometimes also uh, I had the opportunity to teach in some classes, but I had also other time and I decided to spend the other times that I didn't use to write my PhD to study to become a judge because uh, I had two, two big interests. On one side, the researches and uh, the fact of teaching, but on the other side, also, I was fascinated by, uh, by the work of judging. And I was lucky <laughs> because I, I, I tried to pass the, the judge exam at the end of my PhD. It was a sort of challenge because I like challenges. <laughs> That sounds very challenging. As you stated, there, there were a lot of challenges. Uh, in your in your opinion, what stands out as the biggest challenge you had to overcome in your career? Well, uh, the fact of uh, becoming a judge during my PhD, to my mind, was my biggest challenge. Sometimes also you have the possibility to teach during the, your PhD career, and the fact of teaching is not something so so evident. There are certainly some benefits that came with that. So did you get a chance to use the knowledge and uh, skills you learned as a researcher afterwards in your career as a judge? Yes, I think yes. Because when you are a judge, first you have to write. You have to write a decision. And when you write, a when you prepare a PhD thesis, you have to write. And so you learn 
how to write, how to uh, to sum up also a reasoning. I uh, think that the fact of having done a PhD and having uh, taught in some classes during the PhD and after the PhD uh, helped me during uh, the hearings because when you have two, three, four, sometimes even 10 people in front of you for the hearings is uh, more or less like in a class. And uh, here again, the fact of um, uh, having done an experience uh, as a professor uh, at the university helped me to manage the hearings. So I Sounds think, crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, even because sometimes it's easier to manage a class of 10 students than a hearing with 10 parties. <laughs> so your t- tutors were women, as I understand. Yes. In France and they, they in Italy. Both, they both were women. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I have the next question. Have you or one of your colleagues ever experienced gender inequality? or have experienced good examples of gender equality, for example, at university or in your work as a judge? Uh, Well, uh, concerning my tutor, um, I can say that uh, as regards my French tutor, I think that she experienced a gender equality because um, she, while she, she was a professor, and I say a, a real professor at the university, she uh, became a judge at the Supreme Court of France, the Cour de Cassation. And so she had a really brilliant career, uh, both at the university and uh, in, in the judicial system, and independently of the fact that she was uh, a woman. So I think that on, in, in this type of person um, proves that you, you can have a brilliant career even if you are not a man, even if you are a woman. On the other side, my uh, Italian tutors, I think that uh, she experienced sometimes uh, cases of uh, gender inequality because to my mind, she was really brilliant. Uh, she's still a brilliant professor, but sometimes she she was uh, I I I don't like the name of um, discriminate, but I think that in some cases, especially for um, some research project, the fact of being a woman didn't help her so much to to get some some fund to uh, to obtain uh, some also some some classes some project in the University of Turin. So in the case of my tutor French, that there was a, um, a gender equality. In the case of my Italian tutor, there was, in some cases, hypothesis of uh, gender inequality. And what about you? Probably I was lucky because during all my period at the university, uh, before as a university student, then as a PhD student, and then also as a PhD professor, or contract professor, I didn't experience gender inequality. I, I worked with a lot of uh, colleagues who were men, and I, I didn't have the impression, I hadn't the impression of being uh, discriminated, or the only thing that I noticed, and 
unfortunately, but unfortunately, it's not a problem that I notice only in my court or in my career, but in general, is that maybe at the same level, like for example, at judges, there are more women than men, than men, or also as professor, there are more women, professor women than professor men. But if you look at the key position, at the executive position, there are there are all uh, all men. You are not talking about the situation in I- Italy, yes? No, I'm talking about the situation in Italy. Yes, no, no, I'm talking in, in Italy, but in France, in France, more or less, is the same. Uh, you said that your uh, tutors, your mentors, uh, had two different experiences concerning gender inequality. What do you think was the reason? Is it society? Are the laws to blame different laws in each country? Or is it the local environment in which they are working? Is it uh, the responsibility of the university itself and the local collective which works to them? Or is it, is it their personal responsibility to fight for their rights? What, what's the main issue that differs and that uh, make it made it more difficult for your uh, mentor in uh, France to experience gender equality when compared to your mentor in Italy? Whom to blame? <laughs> Who is to blame? Yes. Yeah. Excellent, Daria. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I think that uh, the... Well, the, the local influence was uh, well, contributed to to gender inequality on one side and gender equality on the other side. Independently of being a woman or a man, if I want to get a upper level of, uh, of career, I have to work hard. So it's not a, a question of gender, but of, first of all, a question of, of merit, a, quest, a question of of how you work, it's a question of qualification, of competencies, of, of, of experience, not mm-hmm. of gender. In conclusion, uh, when you see that there is a certain uh, gender inequality in the workplace, from what you said and from what I understood, uh, what message can you share with our listeners? Can you give us a tip for young researchers, young talents, tips for women in academia in general? Well, maybe uh, it can be evident, but I think, well, my, my first tip is to, to, to give uh, to PhD students, especially women, but in general, PhD student is to, uh, to go ahead even in sometimes uh, you you think that there are problems that uh, you will never get it, just go ahead. Uh, you have to be very patient. You have to fight because everything you want to get something, you have to fight. You have to believe in what you are doing. Uh, and um, as I also said during the, um, the, the, the career day organized by University of Turin in November, one thing that I really suggest is to keep open a lot of paths, a lot of uh, doors, if uh, if I can say. Wow, Giovanna, that was fascinating. Your career path was certainly different than the most and is an inspiration to us all. Thank you. This episode was prepared by hosts Daria Aksunova and Jovana Ranjelovic, audio engineer Pavle Drashkovic, outreach manager Dina Semeret, production manager Moria Riha, editors Iser Pir and Miroslav Trajanovic. This episode is published under the Creative Commons CC BY license. Until next time.